Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to the Final Four is not on the schedule. He is Rod, I am Cameron, and we are back. Uh, and MSU returns home to face Nebraska on Wednesday night. Nebraska 6-8 and eight overall, 0-3 oh um, in the Big Ten. And they coming off a tough overtime loss at Ohio State just the other night. Um, but man, Rod, it's been tough. Uh, 140th in Ken Palm overall, 178 on offense, 125 on defense. And this is coming after, you know, when you look at when Tim Miles was there and it was 19 and 17, 22 and 11 before that. And yeah. it's gotten to look pretty rough there in Nebraska for Hoiberg. If you had told me when he was hired three years ago that they'd be heading toward what almost certainly looks like a third straight last place finish when they hired Fred Hoiberg, I never would have believed it. Yeah. I thought he was a perfect hire for this program. And here's what I mean. Nebraska doesn't have the advantages that much of the big 10, like even the middling programs, forget your Michigan States, Indiana's Ohio States have, they don't produce a lot of homegrown talent. And the little bit that is produced in the state of Nebraska oftentimes goes elsewhere. As we're recording this, I've got Wisconsin and Purdue on and Wisconsin starting point guard, Chucky Hepburn is a freshman. He's from Nebraska. Mm. So they don't even keep all those, the few guys they produce necessarily at home. So they don't have that. They don't have tradition. You know, a program like Kansas actually has very similar issues. Mm -hmm. They don't produce a lot of talent in state, but it doesn't matter because they're a traditional powerhouse and they can recruit from everywhere. Uh, so to me, the, the only thing Nebraska really has going for it is they've got great fan support and great facilities, and they're a member of the Big Ten. That's enough. That's enough with the right guy. And Fred Hoiberg, when you look at his tenure at Iowa State, he succeeded using a lot of transfers and then maybe some undervalued guys that he got in high school recruiting, but it was heavy on transfers. Mm-hmm. And that sort of fits with what I think you would need to do to get things going at Nebraska. I don't think you can probably be a traditionally run program and succeed big in that job. I think it would take somebody who does things a little differently. And that sure seemed to be Fred Hoiberg. He's run a ton of transfers through there. I mean, every year it's been massive, massive roster turnover. Mm Mm-hmm. And it hasn't worked. He's actually upgraded their recruiting. That hasn't paid dividends in terms of wins and losses. And it's it's starting to get to the point that you look at it objectively, and I I can't quite figure out what the issue is other than just the guys he's managed to get there have just not been good enough. You know, there's been a there's been sort of a template for Nebraska basketball under Hoiberg, and that's not been any different with this current iteration. They play really fast, but not to any discernible positive effect. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A lot of uh, a lot of effort and energy not amounting to very much in the end. Mm -hmm. And that's. That's surprising to me. His teams at Iowa State, they lacked defensively. The fact that they've not been a great defensive team since he's been there has not surprised me. The fact that they've played fast has not surprised me. What has been surprising is how poor they've been on offense because he was considered to be a really, really good offensive coach. And again, a guy who could manage to take talent and get it to play coherently quickly. That's mm-hmm. what he did at Iowa State, and it just hasn't happened. 
at Nebraska. And now I think, you know, we're in, again, we're in year three. You kind of got to be wondering what's going to change things. Can anything change it? I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, year three, I, I thought, and we said in our season preview, I didn't expect Nebraska to be a powerhouse this year, but I thought they had the tools to be better. Mm-hmm. to finally have a little bit of a breakthrough. Some of that has been hurt by injury. They've, they've got a couple of guys, uh, most notably Trey McGowan's, who was arguably their best player last year and was returning. He's been out most of the season. They also have a freshman, uh, Wilhelm, uh You've got his last name there. I'm drawing a Wilhelm, blank. with an H. Uh It's at the oh, bottom of the bottom of the intro. Oh, oh, uh, uh, Breedenbach. Breedenbach. Wilhelm Breedenbach, who was a, a four-star recruit out of California and was okay earlier this season playing in their rotation, and he started a few times. He's done for the year with a knee injury. So they've lost two guys from their rotation. This wasn't a team that had unbelievable amounts of depth to begin with. So that's hurt them, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. But that they were playing poorly even when those guys were in the lineup. Uh, so it's not just that. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's uh, the 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 bottom line is he has not been able to get guys who have been able to play the way he wants them to play efficiently. That's it's that sounds simplistic, but that's the truth. And and you can detail and we will all the ways that they don't play efficiently, but what it comes down to, what the most important part of that is, whether it's talent evaluation, um, development once they're there, I, I don't know. I, w- I will say this. He's had the thing that would be most distressing to me if I were a Nebraska basketball fan is I have sensed one consistent theme with their team all three years he's been there. They play a very selfish brand of basketball. This is, you know, we're used to seeing it at Michigan State where guys share the ball. You very rarely have anyone playing for MSU that has a shot selection problem. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, most of the best teams in the country play that way. And Nebraska is the exact opposite. They just play and, and have all three years with different guys. It's been consistent. I watched that game against Ohio State last night that you mentioned where they really should have beaten Ohio State. They ended up going overtime and then lost there. They just had nothing left in the tank. They had outplayed Ohio. Ohio State was terrible, and mm-hmm. Nebraska had outplayed them for a lot of that game. But what was very evident, again, in a lot of big moments, guys just taking terrible shots. I mean, Bryce McGowan's, who's a very highly regarded kid, uh, McDonald's All-American, a freshman, the, arguably the the uh, best recruit in Nebraska basketball history, if you go by rankings. Um, a kid with evident talent, but his shot selection is maybe marginally better than Amani Bates's. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not exaggerating. You'll likely see it on Wednesday at mm. Breslin. I mean, he last night. He would jack up shots from 25 feet, have no business being taken. Oh, my. It's just, and, and that's their team. Alonzo Verge, their point guard. I, I don't like the way he plays. And this is consistent. If you think back to the guys they've had, if you remember Cam Mack from a couple years ago. Yeah. If you remember uh, Timmy Allen last year, they've had these guys. That's all. That's why Trey McGowan's was so important because he was a guy who, in my opinion, didn't play that way. Mm-hmm. He played a very um, a very poised, relatively speaking, brand of basketball. And they just don't have any of that going on this year. And consequently, the results are really, really bad. So I don't, I don't know what's going to change the narrative. And, and if you're a Nebraska fan, it's really distressing because, you know, Hoiberg was – he wasn't a Nebraska alum, but he had deep connections to the program. He had relatives who had – had coached there if i remember correctly mm-hmm. um you know a guy who had actually done some things had been very good at iowa state coached in the nba for a few years that's not normally the kind of guy nebraska would be able to get 
Tim Miles fit more of the mold of the guy they would typically get, a guy who had succeeded some at a mid-major and you're taking a chance on him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if Hoiberg doesn't work, wh- where do you go? I mean, they'll, <laughs> yeah. they'll, they get somebody, but I, it's, it would just really, really be depressing to me if I were a fan there who was hoping that this was the guy who could finally raise our program out of mediocrity. You know, Northwestern gets a lot of shit in this, in this conference, and they, they should. They've only made the tournament one time. But if I remember correctly, I don't think Nebraska's ever actually won a tournament game in the program history. I believe that's correct. Um, they've participated in it a little bit more, mm-hmm. but I don't think they've ever won. And so if you're, if, if, if that's your, that's your history, you know, what is it going to take to find the guy? who can change that narrative. And, and I understood why they fired miles. I was a fan of miles. Mm. Um, but he had a problem retaining guys. If you remember, there was a pattern there for several years where he would have, he would have individuals and a team that would just start to be showing something. And then guys would transfer out or they turn pro when they had, I remember, uh, Petaway. Yeah. Their, their Wayne, who was so good, you know, turn pro when he had no chance of being a pro. He had a lot of that. Walter Pritchard quit basketball mm-hmm. after he was pretty good there, you know. So I, I get it. Miles had early success, and then it was starting to get, you know, the, to a, a consistent performances where you had to say, "All right, this is not the guy to turn us into a first division team with regularity." So I understood that, but man, in comparison to what's happened with Hoiberg, the t- to Miles looks like Bobby Knight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he really does. Tim Miles never finished last mm-hmm. in the Big Ten. Fred Hoiberg's working on three for three. You know, so yeah, it's it's tough. And and that loss last night to Ohio State, man, that said it all. Because you are at home, you are in control of the game. I think they were up five with under thirty seconds to play in regulation, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And they somehow managed to get taken overtime and then lose. Uh, it was um, very unfortunate, but you know that's what happens with a, with a program that's where they are. They'll have that one out of five games where they rise up and play well above the level you think they're capable of. But when it comes time to try and actually win it to close it out, they don't have enough. Yeah, they don't understand how they don't understand how to win. That's what was evident last mm-hmm. night. Ohio State was terrible, but Ohio State knew enough to figure it out in the end and make plays to win a game. Nebraska made plays to lose it. Mm-hmm. And that's when they've been at their best. Again, you look at their record, <laughs> yeah. they've got – I mean, they've their two Big Ten games prior to that, IU beat them uh, in Bloomington by about 13, and Michigan, who's a team with their own issues right now, just crushed them in Lincoln. I mean, won by like 30-some, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, it, it looks like a long year. Yeah. So, uh, offense, I mentioned earlier, 178 overall, which isn't isn't great at all. Um, but there's like a, a couple of things that they do decently, um, surprisingly. they 39th overall in turnovers, uh, and they get to a line a decent amount, 80th in free throw attempts. Yeah, um, the turnover thing is a little bit surprising because they play very, very fast. They they have the ninth fastest offensive pace in the country. So you would think with a team with a lot of new parts and, you know, it's just sort of chaotic the way that they are, um, you might think that this would be a turnover-happy team, and they really haven't been. Mm-hmm. And as you say, they because they play that aggressively – and without much energy, they do manage to get to the line a fair amount. Mm. And they shoot twos decently, 76th overall. Yeah, which is, again, I think it's a reflection of, when I think of Nebraska under Fred Hoiberg, I think of guys just flying at the <laughs> it's either It's either that or just taking, just jacking threes with no conscience. It's it's nothing in between. And the for, the former is a way that you can, of course, draw fouls right mm, yeah so that leads to where they're really struggling um 
is threes. 27.9% as a team. That's 332 yeah. nationally. Uh, and offensive rebounding when they miss, uh, 335. So really yeah. bad there. They, they just look. Uh, you know, shooting twos well is, is a good thing to do. Um, I was I was listening to uh, another podcast that was talking about Michigan State and talking about how that is one thing that might be a little bit of a concern for MSU is that they haven't been a great team shooting twos so far this season. And the reason that you say that is, and it has some resonance at least, is that that's something that should be pretty consistent from game to game, you know? Mm-hmm. It generally has more consistency than three-point shooting. Um, but Nebraska is an example of where you can be okay, and it still doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, the the three-point the fact is, while two-point shooting is very important, I would never say otherwise. I'm a big believer in it. Uh, it's hard to win in major college basketball if you just don't have any kind of three-point shooting threat. It's just really tough. And and that's where Nebraska is. They just do not have capable shooters. You know, we're going to go up and down this lineup, and you're going to hear a lot of bad numbers mm-hmm. when it comes to their individuals. I, I mentioned McGowan's. He's their best player. Um, you know, he's shooting 25% from three and Yikes. putting a lot of them up. A lot. That you, that you just you can't win shooting that way you don't have to shoot 40 percent as a team but you can't shoot 28 mm-hmm. and then the other end of it the complete lack of offensive rebounding when you can't get second chances it's tough i mean the the keeping turnovers reduced is is nice that helps but boy when you just don't get any second chances it's hard to win mm-hmm. it, it means you've just really got to be dialed in as a shooting group and they're not they, and they don't have guys who on a game in game out basis look to be capable of that so and what's strange is they have the ninth fastest offensive pace in the nation so i mean it's almost like they're just running down shooting threes and <laughs> running well, back you know you make you make a good point because what I don't see with Nebraska is what I would term to be great transition play. Like Michigan State has a fast pace, and some of it is because they're shooting a little quicker in the half court than we've seen yeah. in other years. But but the fact is, a lot of that is generated by how often they play in transition. Mm-hmm. Nebraska really isn't a great transition team, but they've still got that number. So why is that the case? Well, they're shooting early in the shot clock. The difference is... A Michigan State is shooting early in the shot clock because they're generating good shots. Yeah. Nebraska isn't. I mean, it is a lot of just come down and jack it up. Mm-hmm. That's what you see. And it's not playing to their advantage. Uh, so on defense, 125 overall on defense, but they force a, a decent amount of turnover, 75th, and they defend the two all right at 104. Yeah, uh, and and again, that's a no, no, 104 isn't great by any means, yeah. but it's enough that again, just as we talked about with the offense, you'd say, oh, uh, theoretically, you would say, okay, that should be replicable from a game in game out basis. If you're consistently decent against twos, that should help. That should make you a a decently consistent team, and it just has not worked out that way because they've been so bad in other areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've, they've given up 35% on opponent threes, which is almost hard to believe. <laughs> and, yeah. and they're terrible on defensive rebounding as well. 300. Yep. They are just they're, not rebounding at all. They're a rarity. You know, we talked about Northwestern now. Now look, Michigan state was awful on its defensive boards in that last game. Northwestern is a bad offensive rebounding team um, that had a really good day. Um, but it, but Northwestern at least has been a solid defensive rebounding team. And that's normally the pattern you'll see. Mm-hmm. If a team at this level, at least at the, at the big 10 level, if a team is a poor offensive rebounding team, 
oftentimes that is more reflective of a strategic emphasis as opposed to inability. So Wisconsin, the classic example of this most years, uh, especially in the Bo Ryan era, um, you know, they just didn't send guys to the offensive boards. They prioritized getting back mm-hmm. defensively, making sure they were never beaten transition. That's going to show up in your offensive rebounding, but they were always really good clearing their defensive boards. It is rare to see a team at the Big Ten level be equally bad, and and Nebraska turns that trick. <laughs> and it's, to to some extent, this has been a consistent problem for them, certainly in the Hoiberg era. They just do not have enough playable size. They they just have, haven't ever really had that. And, and it bites them, mm-hmm. you know. But the fact they can't control their defensive glass either is a big problem. And then the three-point defense, it's not just the percentage. They give up a lot of attempts, too. And again, when you watch them, it's not hard to understand why it's happening. Yeah. This is a team that just does not have that defensive consistency. They're not they're not consistent in terms of identifying shooters, closing on shooters, not blowing assignments, all of those things they struggle with. And, you know, again, if you're gonna give up a lot of three attempts and you're gonna the other team's gonna hit a lot of them, that's a bad equation <laughs> to try and win basketball games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we mentioned Trey McGowan's and uh, Breidenbach out. Um, yeah. So that, that hurts the starting lineup. Um, but I guess you have to start with Alonzo Vergay, 6'3", transfer point guard from Arizona State. He's averaging 15.6 points a game. Um, among the Big Ten assist leaders at 5.8, but he's got 3.7 turnovers a game uh, and also yeah. grabs 5.5 rebounds. It, it's shooting, though, is, is not so good. Yeah, and... You know, look, he's he's a guy, he might be a slightly more reliable version of uh, several of the guys they've had at the point guard spot. You know, I go back to Cam Mack two years ago. Um, the guys they had playing the position last year was similar. Yeah. Uh, guys who have the athletic ability and the dynamism in their games to make things happen the trouble is those are both good and bad things happen. <laughs> they just, and, and, and Verge is another guy like that. You know, he, he transferred from Arizona state. Well, Bobby Hurley kind of has had a program that runs that way where mm-hmm. they just, you know, it was a lot of activity, very little control in terms of how that team played, what they were looking to do. And, and the athletic ability and the talent level would occasionally play out, but as often as not, they'd be plagued by mistakes, and it would cost them. And, and Verge is that kind of player. Mm-hmm. Um, he can he can get you into a game with some of the things he can do, and then he can play you right out of it. So I think that's that's the problem. When that's your orchestrator, that's your floor leader, yikes. <laughs> You know, I, again, high assist totals, great. Also high turnovers. Mm-hmm. So he's going to do some positive things and he's going to do some negative things. Yep, 27% from three. So he's one of the ones yeah. struggling too. Right. The only good thing you can say about him in that respect is he hasn't, he's been one of the few guys who hasn't jacked up a ton mm. of threes. You know, his attempts are not, I think he's only averaging maybe two attempts a game, something like that. Maybe even less than that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he doesn't hit him, mm. And so that makes him easier to guard. Uh, and then Bryce McGowan's, you'd mentioned earlier, the six, six, uh, a freshman phenom, um, 15.8 points a game. Um, he's their leading rebounder at 5.9. Um, but his, his shots, 39 from the floor on twos at 25 from d- deep and 82 from the line. When you see him play, uh, this is my take on it. He actually reminds me a lot in terms of his his skill set and his physical tools of Max Christie. Mm-hmm. Better athlete than you might think initially. He's pretty good athletically, just like Max is. 
good size. He's about the same size as Max, right around six six. Mm-hmm. Um, good handle, capable of being a good passer, has the ability, at least in theory, to shoot. But the difference is, well, there's two differences. One, he doesn't defend anywhere close to the level Max Christie does. But the other thing is he's Max Christie if Max Christie was playing without a conscience and wasn't being held accountable in the slightest. Mm -hmm. That's a big difference. And, And I think that comparison is one that can really be illustrative in terms of showing you why guys with similar quote unquote talent, what people mean by that, you know, skill sets plus athleticism, mm-hmm. um, plus physical tools, you know, size, wingspan, etc. Um, why some guys, one guy makes it, one guy doesn't. I, I and I've I got no, I've got no axe to grind against Fred Hoiberg. He's a buddy of Izzo's. Obviously, his son played in MSU's program. I thought very highly of him before he took the Nebraska job. It, it wasn't necessarily the brand of basketball I loved because it was kind of defense optional mm-hmm. at Iowa State, but he was effective. You had to give him credit. And and I don't mean to be you know, ultra-critical or definitive necessarily in saying this, but to me right now, if I were Bryce McGowan's, Bryce McGowan's parents – I would be really worried, really worried. You know, there's this this fantasy that, well, talent shows through, and if you've got it, the NBA will find you, and it doesn't matter where you play, blah, blah, blah. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. It matters. That's it's, it's true to a point in this sense. There are many places that a, a, a talented kid can go and – be noticed by the NBA and get themselves to that next level. That's true. But that doesn't mean every place is that it doesn't mean that you can't make a bad decision that hurts you. Bryce McGowan's game right now, despite the counting numbers, you know, his scoring average looks fine. He's averaging almost six rebounds a game. He, he makes plays uh, as a playmaker, you know, assists, but his efficiency is so awful. And the way he plays is so bad. I mean, seriously, the Imani Bates comparison is not crazy Mm -hmm. because he takes shots like Imani does where you say, what the fuck was that? (laughs) And it happens a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're in that situation, man, it (laughs) things can get rough in a hurry when it terms, when it comes to, People who are paid to make those decisions as to who they're going to put their money into at the next level, that that can cost you. And if, if it were me, I have no idea what they're thinking, mm. but if it were me, I would be looking at the way this season has unfolded and I would be giving it some real thought as to what the next step is. Do you want to – I don't get the sense that Hoiberg is going to be fired at the end of the season, although nothing would surprise me these days, but assuming he isn't and assuming he is back for another year, do you want to invest another year in, in of your son's career? I mean, th- there was thinking that he could be a one and done, mm-hmm. not on your life from what I've seen. It doesn't mean he won't, but uh, if he does, I can't imagine who would take a flyer on him at this stage, the way he's played. I mean, he's just been terrible. So uh, we'll see a a kid whose talent. And I want to wrap it up by saying this. Certainly he could have a big game on Wednesday. He is talented enough. When I compare him to Max Christie, that's not inadvisedly. Mm -hmm. I think he has a similar, he has similar gifts. And so he, on the right night, could he have success? Yes. But uh, I, I don't think it's likely, and I think that um, his performance to date on the season has been troubling, mm-hmm. if I were a, a Nebraska fan. Uh, and then Kisei Tominaga, 6'3", transfer from the JUCO ranks. Um, Tominaga's got 8.4 points a game, 38, 34, and 83. 
Um, yeah, he's he's another one. And the only thing you could say in his defense is the 34% looks pretty good <laughs> yeah. from three. But that's what he is. Like 75% of his shots are coming from deep. He's another wild man. I mean, you watch, you watch his shot selection and it's just oof, rough, <laughs> and rough. But, it, but they go in enough that they, and they've been starting him recently. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's a guy, I would say this, MSU fans, don't blink because you might miss him jacking some shots. Mm-hmm. He will shoot in a hurry. He has no conscience. He's the furthest thing from shy you're ever going to see. <laughs> uh, but he really doesn't do anything else. Uh, and then Lat Mayan, six nine junior forward, um, and Mayan's numbers are down a little bit from last year. He's averaging only four point eight points a game, thirty two twenty two and sixty, uh, and grabbing just three and a half rebounds. The the three point shooting is just a huge deal because the, what they liked about him last year and why he was reasonably productive is, okay, here's a guy who's 6'9". He's not very strong, but he's got length mm. and, um, you know, some some ability to do things via his size. But he also was a decent shooter, so he could kind of stretch the floor a little bit. When you're shooting 22%, you're not stretching anything except maybe your coach's patience. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, he just has been really bad. Scoring average is about half down. I mean, I believe he was an eight-point-plus-a-night guy last year. He's down under five. Um, it just hasn't been good. But they honestly, especially with Breedenbach out, they, they don't have better options. So he's still playing about 22 minutes a game. Mm. Uh, and then Derek Walker, 6'9", senior, averaging 9.4 points a game, 76% from the floor, 71 from the line. Uh, and he leads them in rebounding, 6.6. For as bad as they've been inside, I, I shudder to think where they would be without Derek Walker. You know, they got him last year as a transfer from Tennessee, mm-hmm. and he hadn't been – he was barely in Tennessee's rotation when he transferred. This was – he transferred back in the old days. He actually sat out a year uh-huh. and, and then started playing, if I remember correctly, right about this time, second semester um, last season. And so that was uh, that was a good addition for them because he came in having been a guy who wasn't playing much at Tennessee and actually was pretty effective at Nebraska, and he's the only big man who's really producing. He's also the only guy that I think you can look at this season and say, hey, this is a guy who's actually playing well. <laughs> I mean, seventy six percent from the floor. Yeah, that's pretty that, good. That's a guy who knows himself. Mm-hmm. I think he's taken one three the entire season, so he doesn't try to do things he can't do. Um, the rebounding numbers are decent. You know, leads the team, whatever it is, six point six. Um, and and he's just uh, he plays within himself, which is something that you can't really say about anybody else on that team so i like him it's a shame it's got to be frustrating for him that he plays that way and nobody else does <laughs> uh so then coming off the bench cj wilcher six five freshman transfer from xavier um averaging 7.8 points a game 44 from the floor 36 and 64 yeah you know he and and the next guy we'll talk about kobe webster actually have decent shooting percentages and so they're guys that i think you could maybe make an argument should be playing more um wilcher was seen as a shoot first guy when they got him he didn't play much last year at xavier as a true freshman and he transferred and kept his eligibility mm-hmm. um but he's been okay as a shooter you know and and they could use a lot more of okay uh, and then Webster, six foot senior, six point four points a game, thirty six, thirty four, and seventy two. Same thing, you know. He's he's a guy. I felt this way last year. He had a couple of games where he just got red hot from deep and kind of carried them. Um, sort of a, a man without a without a country, so to speak. 
mm-hmm. at this level. He's about six foot, maybe six one, if you're being generous. But he really doesn't have a point guard's game. Well, that's tough mm-hmm. at the Big Ten level, you know. And and so I think they're they're using him correctly, and he's probably not a guy you want playing 25 minutes a night because at that size and that position, Big Ten teams will find ways to hurt you. But I, I like him. I like him, and I like Wiltshire as reserves. They're other than Walker. They're really the best things this team has going. Mm-hmm. In uh, that they're okay. You know, they're we're not talking about spectacular play. They're just okay. But that shows you where Nebraska is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Eduardo Andre, six ten sophomore, three point three points a game, three point four rebounds, fifty percent from the floor, sixty one from the line. Yeah, you know, not bad. I mean, he he started playing more consistently late last season and showed some flashes and they thought they might have something and his, his production's okay as a backup big man, but just not enough right now um, to uh, particularly as a rebounder and an interior defender, you know, um, they've, I think they've still got reason to hope that his, his upperclassmen years could be something. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's he's not really there yet as a as a prime player. You know, he's he's putting up numbers, kind of because somebody has to. You know, Walker can't play forty minutes, so somebody's got to play those minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then Keon Edwards, six seven freshman transfer from DePaul, uh, averaging under a point a game, nineteen from the floor. He's zero for twelve from three and fifty percent from the line. <laughs> Um, oh, for 12. You know, he was a guy that there were some expectations around. He's 6'7", but he's got a perimeter game. They list him as a guard. Uh, you know, I think I think that there was a thought that, you know, maybe he can be a guy that can help, but those shooting numbers, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> uh, and he's not playing much. He's actually started a few times this year, but his minutes, like he's playing about eight minutes a game. Mm-hmm. And he didn't play last night against Ohio State. And I, I looked around. I didn't see anything about illness or injury. So I'm assuming that was just a DNP coach's decision, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, but I, I list him because he's played a lot, in a lot of games at least, uh, but not played very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other guy we may see, Trevor Lake, 6'8", senior, former D2 player. Um, averaging two points a game, 33, 27, and 50. Yeah, he he was another guy who got eligible last year and ended up playing more than they thought and was actually pretty productive last season. He proved to be capable of hitting shots occasionally. Um, and, uh, and, you know, this year I think they thought coming in that maybe they had supplanted him with enough talent that he wouldn't have to play, but we're, we're coming back around to the same story where they don't have better options. Mm-hmm. And he's really the backup four man. And it's tough because Mayan is playing so miserably that I'm sure Hoiberg would love it if he had another legitimate answer, but he, you know, this kid is not playing as well as he did last season. And I don't know that he's giving you anything more really than Mayan is. Mm-hmm. All right, so you look at the keys, Rod, play the game. You don't want to overlook this one with Michigan on the schedule next. Yeah, what I mean by that is play the game, not the opponent, right? And normally we don't have to say that in the Big Ten because most of the time in the Big Ten, even a lower echelon team is good enough for the circumstances such that you don't have to worry about it. You assume that, hey, the guys are going to be focused because they know they have to be. Mm-hmm. This is one of those games where I, I do think it matters. You got a three and start, you know, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. You've won seven in a row. You're in the top 10. All those things are true. And, and then you got Michigan looming on Saturday, but you can't lose focus. This game obviously is, is one where you should win. And everybody knows that. Mm. But that's dangerous. So you have to you have to prove that you're capable of focusing on and playing to your own internal standard as opposed to the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. You know? And that Tom Izzo's only gonna be happy if his team plays efficiently 
and with good energy and good effort. And that, and he will be happy if that means they win by 30 or they win by five. Mm-hmm. If they do those things, if they do those things, winning by 30 is much more likely than winning by five. But that's kind of what I'm getting at. It, the scoreboard beyond the, the obvious point that I shouldn't have to say to everybody that, yeah, you got to win. Beyond that, the scoreboard really isn't what matters here. It's finding that motivation to keep momentum going in the areas that you have been playing well in and then to improve in things that you haven't done as well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that terrible shot selection can get infectious a little bit in a game, especially if you're leading and the other team just keeps jacking well, up terrible shots. You're not wrong about that. And, and it is something to think about. This is a game that I would expect will be played very loosely. Nebraska is the definition of a loose team. And you're right. That can sometimes suck you into that. Mm-hmm. And you just have to hope if you're Michigan State. Now, I, I will say this. I think over the course of time, it is a very, very rare thing to say about a Michigan State team. Boy, they yeah. just showed no discipline. They were jacking shots. They weren't patient. That is a, an extremely rare thing. You know, we don't we don't see that very often. So I'm not overly concerned about it. But, you know, sometimes it's let's put it this way against that team. You're going to get if you're Michigan State, you're going to get good shots. There's just no doubt about that. The question is, can you be patient enough to get great shots? Mm -hmm. And so that's where maybe a little bit of what you're talking about can come into play. It's like, well, you've got an open three. Okay, not a bad shot, but let's say the team's missed its last four. You know, maybe you should show a little patience and look to work the ball inside and get some momentum offensively built up by getting some easy ones. But you pull the trigger anyway mm-hmm. because the game's kind of loose. You know, that would be the danger. Yeah. Uh, the second key is boards. Yes, we mentioned how bad Nebraska is on the boards, both both ends. Yeah, uh, but, you know, if you're Michigan State, and I will guarantee you this has been something that Izzo has been drilling them with um, since, since yesterday, you know, today at practice, tomorrow at practice, and on Wednesday leading into the game. Uh, their performance, Michigan State's performance on the defensive boards in Evanston was a disgrace. They gave up 15 offensive rebounds on 44 missed shots. So that's about a 34% offensive rebounding rate for Northwestern. That is poor against a good offensive rebounding team for Michigan State. Mm -hmm. Um, Against that team, that opponent, it was disgraceful. And I, I think that's just, you can't say it any other way. Nebraska is really bad on both ends on the glass. So if you're Michigan state, you want to dominate. You want to have a bunch of second chances and you want to shut them down and turn them into a one and done offense. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then transition. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, we we've talked about it. Nebraska likes to play fast, but I also think Nebraska from what I've observed is sloppy in terms of transition defense, getting back with consistency. I would like to think Michigan State is going to have several opportunities to get easy ones. They had a pretty good game in terms of transition, at times at least, against a Northwestern team that I think is much more disciplined mm-hmm. than what Nebraska is. So it should show up. Uh, and then threes. Michigan State's up to 38.9%, which is 16th in the country. Yeah, that's a little bit of a decline. <laughs> After yeah, because it Kind 10, of a rough day. You know, Northwestern, we talked about it. Northwestern would give up a decent amount of threes, and they'd been giving up a high percentage of makes. Michigan State's first half, the one for 10 first half, kind of put them in a hole. Second half was much more like what we've been seeing. They were six for 13, but you add it all up. It wasn't a horrible day. It was just a little bit down mm-hmm. from where they've been. Uh, still a very good shooting team. I, I have no doubt about that. But what it illustrates is sometimes 
even when you're playing a team that gives up a lot of threes and you're getting pretty good looks, which is what happened, um, they just don't fall. And you don't want that to repeat. You know, Nebraska, again, not a disciplined defensive team. They're going to give up a lot of good looks. That's Mm -hmm. just the bottom line. Michigan State's got to hit them. Uh, And then the fifth key is Walker. Um, We'd we'd seen about five or six really good games in a row, and then now it's been kind of a little two steps back for him. Two straight, yeah. Yeah. And and it hasn't been a total disaster. I mean, I don't want to be – I don't want to be one of these guys that just focuses on one thing. He has not been scoring. In fact, he didn't score against Northwestern, and I think he only had three against High Point. He hit a three in the second half. So that's three points over two games. But that's not, you know, that's not the totality of things. I think he was pretty damn good defensively in the Northwestern game. He was a big part of holding Boo Booey down, and that, any Michigan State fan should know that's not an easy task after what that kid has done to Michigan State the two years previous. Mm-hmm. So you got to credit that. I thought Tyson was okay running the offense, not as good as he'd been. I mean, he'd been putting up insanely good numbers lately in terms of assists to T.O. And um, I think he had three assists and two, two turnovers yeah. against Northwestern. So not great. I actually – Watching the game, I felt a little better about him as a playmaker than those numbers reflected. But look, we know they need him to be a very good player mm-hmm. for this team to reach its its ceiling. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he goes out and scores 15 points. But it means he's got to be a decent enough scorer to be contributing because I do think there are going to be opponents and we haven't seen them yet, but we're going to see them, you know, when they play a Wisconsin, when they play, you know, an Ohio state, a Purdue, I mean, these are not all great defensive teams by any means, but, but teams that are well coached and I expect we'll have the usual kind of great big 10 scouting job Mm -hmm. that we're used to. Those teams are going to take away some, of what Michigan State likes to do and does well. Now, what is that going to mean on a given day? You can't always know for sure. It might mean that you know they're really shading Gabe Brown. Yeah. Um, it you know it might mean that uh, I don't know they're popping out you on get Hauser that, and not yeah on them. Hauser or you know they're they're just not letting Marky get loose. Um, you know, a lot of different things can happen. But whatever it is, you can expect that we're going to see some of that as this season goes on. So I do think Tyson Walker has got to be a guy who more consistently than we've seen, certainly lately, can have an impact as a scorer when he needs to, Mm. when they don't, when they don't have other things going, because he's a guy that I think physically has the capability to get his own. I think that exists for him. And I think he has to just have that mentality, you know, and that's been the thing we had, we had talked about earlier in the season and it seemed like he'd been getting more confidence. The only good thing I'll say about the last couple of games, I haven't noticed him being hesitant. He just hasn't had shots drop for him, but he hasn't been afraid or unwilling to take them, mm. which is a good sign. But I just think they, they want to get him back in the swing of things, I, I give immense credit to A.J. Hogard. I think A.J. Hogard, I said it on the post game in Northwestern, he has had a really, really good season. And I think as a backup point guard, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better one mm. in this conference. But I don't think he's a guy who can be – I think for Michigan State to be a true title contender, Tyson Walker has got to be the guy that he was for those, as you said, five or six games previous to the last two. That's what's going to make the difference. You know, Um, they can't just have Tyson not making an impact at the level that he had been previously and figure AJ is going to be enough to bail that out. Mm -hmm. I I don't believe that, particularly as the conference schedule wears on transition becomes harder to get, you know, the things that AJ excels at, I don't think 
translate as well consistently. You know, I think it's going to be harder for him to finish in traffic against more size. I think teams are going to limit MSU's ability to get in transition with with uh, greater frequency. Mm-hmm. We'll shut it off completely, but you know what I mean. Um, so that to me means at the end of the day, you still got to have Tyson Walker playing at a higher level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, anything else uh, heading into this one? You know what, what more is there to say, except you, you got to win. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's one of those games, you know, um, uh, at home, you say that about every game really, but, um, especially, one like this really you just can't drop it can't but but more important as i say than the than the scoreboard to me because i i'm figuring on a win is how does michigan state play you don't want to be going into ann arbor with some doubts Mm -hmm. about the way that you're playing so a good clean high energy high effort game would be just what the doctor ordered Okay, well, this one's 7 o'clock Wednesday night on the Big Ten Network. Until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.